Welcome back to Easily Entertained. My name is Bryson Olson, and here we talk about all things entertaining, like movies, TV, video games, whatever we want. Uh, Last week, we talked about what I think the first blockbuster should be, Jurassic Park. So I thought it was only fitting if this week we talk about what is actually considered the first blockbuster film, 1973's Jaws. Funny enough, both Jaws and Jurassic Park are directed by the same person, Steven Spielberg. So he really is just out here making hits. Jaws, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, the new West Side Story, Pinky and the Brain. Spielberg definitely knows what he's doing. Part 1. The Plot We start the movie at night on the fictional island of Amity, which is meant to be located just offshore of Long Island in New York. It is a summer break, and we see some young adults parting it up, and two of them, a guy and a girl, break off from the rest of the group to go night swimming, both of them a bit drunk and out of it, so clearly not a recipe for disaster, of course. The girl heads out into the water while the guy just tumbled down a hill on the beach and just decided to vibe for a second. He's like, you know what? Whatever. However, though, when the girl goes out in the water alone, she gets snatched by the villain of the story, a huge great white shark. Guess that's what happens when you decide to just go swim naked in the middle of the night. Maybe don't do that next time. The next morning, we get introduced to our main protagonist of the film, Police Chief Brody, played by Roy Scheider. He gets called out to the beach where the girl's remains have washed up. After receiving the report from the coroner's office, he learns that it is a shark attack. And wanting to act fast, being from New York, where there's a lot of crime, Brody immediately moves to close the beaches, which is clearly a pretty rational response to the whole thing. Or at least you would think so. This takes place during 4th of July weekend, and the mayor of this town doesn't want to close the beaches, like a crazy person. He keeps saying this is a summer town, knowing that a lot of their economic success is due to people coming in the summer and vacationing. However, the man is too ignorant of people's lives in the presence of a dangerous shark to close the beach. He even convinces the coroner to write off the cause of death for the girl as a boat propeller accident. Lesson to be learned here, government officials suck and should not be trusted. So being pressured by the mayor, Brody decides to leave the beaches open. He's new here. Maybe this is something that unfortunately just happens occasionally. 
Newsflash, Brody, it is not. So, with no acknowledgement of the shark attack that had happened, the beach is open and it fills up with people. Everyone is ready for some good time summer fun. Brody is even there with his family, just trying to relax. However, tragedy strikes again when this time a little boy is attacked and eaten by the shark. Everyone panics. We get a dolly zoom on Chief Brody, which we will talk a little bit more about later. And then a citywide shark hunt. Everyone is anxious to get that shark that ate the little boy. Here we also get introduced to a professional shark hunter, Quint. He offers to kill the shark for 10 grand. However, the city council doesn't really believe it to be that serious. They think it is just a small rogue shark that anyone can hunt. So people all over the city go out on their boats to catch a shark. While the shark hunt is going on, we meet an oceanographer, Hooper who has come here to help identify the type of shark and eventually aids in the capture and the death of it. Shortly after Hooper arrives, a group of men catch a tiger shark. Did you catch that? I mentioned earlier that the, great, that the shark is a great white. And Hooper himself, after analyzing the body of the victim, determines that the shark was a great white. Tiger? Great white. Those two sound like different sharks. However, everyone is ecstatic because the tiger shark is also a known man-eater, so they believe they have caught the culprit of these gruesome deaths. Later, though, Hooper and Brody cut open the body of the shark and find that the remains of the boy were not in there. This wasn't the shark that they wanted. Another beach party happens with all the new arrivals for summer vacation, and tra tragedy strikes again. This time, the shark goes into a lagoon where Brody's son is sailing. Thankfully, his son is not killed, but this motivates Brody to finally ignore the mayor and take matters into his own, own hands. Brody decides to go to Quint and recruit him to find and kill the shark. So all three of our men... Brody, Quint, and Hooper hop aboard Quint's boat, the Orca. I know, it's pretty ironic since Orcas are known predators of Great Whites. They knew even back then, the Orcas can be vicious. So the three men head out into the water to go get that shark. They find him and attach some barrels to him so that they can find him when he gets close to the boat. But the shark is even bigger than they expected. They were going to need a bigger boat. They thought they could tire out the beast. However, it was so strong, it could take down three barrels with him. Even Quint was blown away. Hooper even gets into the shark cage he brings along to try and poison the shark poison the monster, since Quint's methods did not really seem to be working. The shark, of course, attacks Hooper in the cage and destroys it, but luckily Hooper gets away, hiding in a small reef nearby. With Brody and Quint back on the boat, the shark decides to make a full-fledged effort to get them both. It destroys the ship and manages to get Quint and drag his body to a watery grave. Brody is all that is left. Brody remembers the extra oxygen tank that Hooper had warned him to be careful about. After the shark comes back for him, Brody tosses the tank into the shark's mouth, and as the ship is sinking, Brody gets out his gun that he brought along, carefully aims, and smile, you son of a bitch. Boom! The shark is dead, and your the shark is dead, and our hero has saved the town. Clearly an epic story worthy of a big blockbuster film. Part 2. The Cinema A lot of what makes Jaws such an incredible film worthy of first blockbuster, although debatable for me, is done through the wonderful work of the filmmakers. The camera work, I think, is especially noticeable when it comes to quality. 
Spielberg uses his clearly masterful mind to take some incredible shots and bring them all together. To amplify some of the suspense, whenever the shark is around, there are often underwater POV shots of the shark coming up on its next unsuspecting victim. And until the second half of the movie, you actually don't see much of the shark at all, which adds to the suspense. You don't see the monster that is taking the lives of innocent islanders. Which, speaking of the shark, I think it is very relevant to talk about the animatronic that they used for the shark. Which, fun fact, the shark is named Bruce. Yes, like the shark in Finding Nemo. In fact, the shark in Finding Nemo was named Bruce as an homage to the animatronic. Anyways, back to the animatronics, they were actually three different animatronics, which kind of is a feat in and of itself, because for any shots using the animatronics, they used a full, two-scale, 25-foot animatronic shark. The biggest one having been the shark sled, which had been the animatronic plus a mechanical arm that had supported and controlled the shark. This mechanical creature was used particularly at the end of the film when the shark attacks the boat that the trio of men are on. To be able to use the shark in that way, they had to make the shark sled. It needed more support that, so that it could actually have an impact when attacking the boat, which if you watch the film... It takes down the boat, so the impact was definitely there. Also coming back around to camera shots, a really famous shot that is in the film is, is what is called the dolly shot, which I had mentioned earlier. This shot comes during the scene when Chief Brody is at the beach himself when his family and him see the shark attack a boy. The shot zooms in on his face while also strangely zooming out of the background which may seem almost impossible because you're shooting all at once, but it is actually possible and it's actually kind of a hard shot to do. The way the shot is accomplished is by moving the camera physically forward or backward towards the subject while also zooming the lens in or out at the same time. This causes the picture to distort a little bit and can add a sense of otherworldly or uneasiness to the shot. This effect is it creates is also called the vertigo effect due to its first use in the movie vertigo when used to amplify how high something is or kind of giving a visual interpretation to the feeling of vertigo it can't always be done well and it takes a lot of technical know-how and skill to properly pay it off but when done right in things like jaws it can take the level of suspense to a new level Another thing that really added to the suspense of Jaws was the score, which was done by John Williams, the classic dun-dun, dun-dun, dun-dun. Everyone knows it. The music brings more uneasiness and also ampl amplifies that suspense. I think a good example in the movie is when Hooper and Brody go out on the water at night and come across a wrecked ship of one of the townsmen. Hooper decides to go in the water and check out the hull, and during so, the music is at a height, and it feels very suspenseful. And then just before a slight jump scare from a dead body floating out of the hole, the music cuts out, which throws us off, because we are waiting for something big from the music, and with a cutout, it subverts our expectations and surprises us along with the visuals. So why is Jaws considered the first big blockbuster? Well, it clearly has a well-done story and some well-executed well filmmaking, but why was it so strongly received? Well, there were quite a few reasons, one of which was that it was released during the summer. If you notice the release of a lot of movies, they are often during times when people are 
most likely to see them, specifically vacations or holidays, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Valentine's, spring break, and summer. And in the case of Jaws, the movie actually takes place during summer vacation, so a summer release was kind of relevant to the, rela- to the relatability of the story. The movie is also pretty action-packed and suspenseful. This kept the audience on the edge of their seats and engaged with the film. The trailers for the film also helped bring that across to the audiences, giving just the base information needed and some of the iconic lines from the film to intrigue the audience and get them to actually line up around the block waiting to see the movie, which was kind of a first in cinema history. And along with that, the movie was not extremely gory, so it managed to get a PG rating, which allowed for much large, a much larger audience than if it had been rated R, which, which at the time would have been the next rating because PG-13 didn't exist at that point. And typically R meant it would have to be a lot more gruesome. So Jaws was technically a movie for the whole family. Pretty much anyone could watch the film, which the main protagonist actually targets. Chief Brody is what is meant to be the everyman. People can relate to him. <coughs> he may be the chief of police, but is he may be the chief of police, but it is but it is in a quiet, relatively crime-free town, which is in high contrast to New York where he moved from, so he also has to deal with the struggles of being in a new place, which many can relate to. And he also has a fear of the ocean, which allows the audience to have a vessel to latch onto through this story. You are meant to be scared of what is in the ocean, because that is where our villain is, and our quote-unquote hero of the show is scared of the water, so you can follow with him as he has to overcome his fear to be able to save the town from the monster. Which leads me into the last reason why Jaws was such a big blockbuster. The concept of the film was extremely simple. It was elevator pitch easy. A peaceful seaside town is terrorized by a 25-foot great white shark. This can be easily brought up when people are talking about new movies. They don't have to explain the whole plot in great detail to actually get the point across. It is simple, clean, and attention-grabbing. It is what allowed for the movie to become so successful even going on to make a worldwide gross of $470 million, which was pretty incredible for 1975. So maybe Jaws is actually pretty worthy of the first big blockbuster title. It had a suspenseful story, it was full of fantastic filmmaking, and had an impeccable impact on the world of movies. And when you watch this first big blockbuster, I guarantee you will be easily entertained. Thank you for listening to Easily Entertained with me, Bryson Olson. If you enjoyed, be sure to tune back in on the first and third Tuesdays of every month at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time to hear all about entertainment. Easily Entertained is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Also check us out on social media, on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter under Easily Entertained for more updates on new episodes and extras on all things entertainment. Until next time, this is Easily Entertained.